0: Uh, This is just a little bit different than this, but there are some some pieces, some nuggets that I believe that we can pull from that are going to help us an awful lot. Uh, King Ahab and, and Jezebel are the, are the couple that we're going to look at today. If you want to look at 1 Kings, if you have one of our New Living Translation Bibles, it'll be about page 550 or 554 or so. It's bequ- between Samuel and Ruth, uh, somewhere there, between Genesis and Revelation, if you really want to know the truth. And so if you'll find 1 Kings in the Old Testament, King Ahab was the seventh king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He ruled for about 20 years from about 875 to 855, 854 uh, BC. First king says this about King Ahab, that up until that time he was the king that did more evil than any other kings before him. God loved him enough to send him a prophet by the name of Elijah uh, to point him in the right direction because he wasn't living Uh, as God would have him to live. And Elijah went to him and he confronted him. And in the midst of that confrontation, you would think that maybe Elijah would turn and repent. But that's not what he did. Instead, he continued going down the wrong path. And when he wondered, the people of God wondered. When he got off track, the people of God got off track. He had the opportunity to stand up and do the right thing, but he never did. He never did. And as a result, the people were led astray. As a king, he was a guy who was a capable military and political leader. But at home, listen to me, at home it was a different story. Here's a guy who had it going on on the outside. He was a business guy. He had everything that you can ever imagine right here at his fingertips. But at home, it seemed that the temperature of what took place changed. It was a different story. He married this woman by the name of Jezebel. Jezebel. She was from Sidon. and She would influence her husband and many other people to turn to Baal. Baal was one of the uh, one of the big um, gods there that was worshipped in Canaan. And he became so attracted to Baal that um, Ahab brought Baal worship back, built a temple, and also an altar for Baal there in Samaria, which was the king, which was the uh, which was the capital there of the Northern Kingdom. And the, end, the Israelites were so attracted to Baal because prostitution was a part of Baal worship. And we don't really know who the writer of Kings is. We think it might have been Jeroboam. We're not really sure. But this is what we find out in this book, that Israel was not only divided physically now between the northern and southern kingdom, but now they became divided spiritually. And what I want to do today is I want to introduce you to probably one of the most oddest couple, one of the worst marriages that you can find in Scripture. It is King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. So turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 21, and I want to read uh, for you just a little bit. I want you to start at verse 25, and we're going to start where we're going to end at, and then we're going to go right back to the beginning. So we're going to start where we're going to end, and this is the verse. This is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab. Now look, listen at this very, very, very carefully, because he didn't do it alone. Look at who was standing beside him. Under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. Jezebel. Let's go back to the beginning of this and let's see if we can read a little bit here. To give you a little bit of an idea of what was going on, the king had a palace. Outside the palace there was a vineyard. A guy by the name of Naboth owned this vineyard. And every time the king would go into the palace or leave the palace, he would see this vineyard. And the king wanted that vineyard. And look at where we say here in in verse 2 in chapter 21. This is what the Bible says. One day Ahab said to Naboth, since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I'd like to buy it, to use it as a vegetable garden. Now I don't have a clue of what the king would want to do with a vegetable garden. You'd think he had a green thumb. Maybe his wife was such a bad wife he wanted to get outside the house and use his hands. I really don't know. But for some reason, he wanted a vegetable garden. Um, He could have just been jealous because it looked so good. But for whatever the reason, he wanted that garden. Look at what it says in verse 2 continued. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I will pay you for it. Look at verse 3. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down to my ancestors. Now look what Ahab does. So Ahab went home. He was angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall, and he refused to eat. That's pretty odd, isn't it? Here's the king. Here's the king with all the power. And this joker starts pouting. I mean, think about this. Here's the guy that's supposed to be in control. And he wants the vineyard, and Naboth says, listen... And, and he even says, listen, I'll pay you for the vineyard, or I'll even give you a better vineyard. But Naboth says, it's not going to happen. Now, what we don't understand is really the context of what's taking place, because who had given Naboth that land? His ancestors. Where did that land come from? Who had given it from him? Who had given it to him? God had given the Israelites that land. And so if Naboth were to give that land up, it would be a sign of the rejection of the covenant that God had with Abraham. It would be a sign of the rejection of what God had given them. And so Naboth says, listen, and it's not happening. But Ahab could care less about God, and he could care less about God's rules. He just wanted the property. And when he didn't get what he wanted, what did he do? He pouted. He went to his room and he cried and he sat in the corner. Now, guys, anybody ever done that? I mean, in the marriage relationship, you don't get what you want. And so you just pack your bags and say, I'll go find some other, somebody else that will meet my needs. If you don't get what you want, you just pack your bags and go to the other. See, I've played on softball teams where guys didn't, didn't start. They didn't show up the next week. Why? Because they didn't get a chance to play. It's all about me, baby. I mean, have you ever been in a, a marriage situation where somebody says, if, if, I don't, if you don't give me what I want, I'm just going to pack my bags and go elsewhere. If I, you don't give me what I want, I'm just going to go off and pout. Has anybody pouted this last week? Be honest. You're not being honest. Oh, Lori, you did? Would you like to share? I'm just <laughs> so. John, we've made some marks. She admitted to it, Okay. That's a big deal. Look at verse 5. What's the matter? This is great. Look at how she speaks to him. What's the matter? That's what Jezebel said. What's the matter? His wife Jezebel asked him, what's made you so upset that you're not eating? And he says, well, I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard or trade it to me, but he refused. Ahab told her. (laughs) Look at what she says. Are you the king of Israel or what? What? Are you the king? Are you the guy in charge? Jezebel demanded. Get up. Eat something. Don't worry about it. Listen, I'll go get you Naboth's vineyard. In other words, since you aren't the guy with the pants on, since you don't seem to be able to live up and handle the responsibility, I'll take care of it for you. I'll do it. Since it may be un- it's so hard to understand, but there's something that men don't like to admit, ladies, listen, sometimes there are times that we're insecure. Sometimes we're fearful. You should have been Scott trying to fill out the housing list for the men's retreat. Think about it. Well, I don't know if I can sleep with another man in the room, you know. I don't know if I can do that. It's stressful, wasn't it, Scott? I'm like, "Huh? No, baby. Sometimes we just are insecure and sometimes we're fearful. There's a tendency sometimes to act that way. And um, what do you think we try to be so tough for, Troy? Try to stick that chest out and act like we're we're tough. And that's why God in His wisdom created a helpmate for us. A helpmate. I help mate because God knew that we would need affirmation and encouragement. We'd need that pat on the butt every once in a while to say, Honey, I love you. you did a great job there. It's a good job. But I want you to look at how Jezebel treated Ahab. Look at what she said to him. She belittled him with her words. Look at what she says. Are you the king of Israel or what? In other words, you've got to be kidding me. I can't believe you're acting this way. You're pitiful. You're a loser. You're a sissy. You're a wuss. That's what she was saying. you got to be kidding me. And you know what? It is amazing in the relationships that we have, the words that we use either build up or tear down, don't they? And I'm not just talking about the marriage relationship, but I'm talking about any relationship. I'm even talking about the words that we speak to our children. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Worry weighs a person down, but an encouraging word cheers a person up. Proverbs 16 says, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Proverbs 18, The tongue can bring life or death. And a nagging, controlling, negative woman can kill a man's spirit. Can I say that one more time? Some of you guys are going, would you say it two or three other times? <laughs> a nagging, controlling, negative woman can kill a man's spirit. Uh, spirit. How many times have I been, I, I'm not staying, hey, don't go there. Don't you dare go there. There are some issues over here we need to deal with. How many times have I been at the place of saying, I want to quit? I'm done. I'm through, and I want to go stand myself in the corner. I want to go pout, or I'm having a difficult time. And it's amazing with a couple of words, Meredith can change the whole temperature and attitude of everything. Are you with me? It's amazing with just a a couple of words. Man, I wanted to yesterday, I wanted to bust her good. She lost her phone. I bit my tongue because that night before, Lori, you remember she was standing there and she said, he loses his phone all the time. And I'm thinking, I just want to stick up my tongue. I almost bit the tip end of it off. She, all day long yesterday afternoon, she hunted for a phone. And I kept thinking about, okay, Lord, am I encouraging words, discouraging words, belittling words? And I was thinking this all the way through. But the truth is, listen, our spouse in any relationship, our words have the ability to encourage or discourage stop. Stop. You ask her. You ask her. (laughs) But you know, the other thing that's not just the encouragement, but I know that when she speaks to me in that way, the other thing that is so huge is I know that I've got a helpmate that's walking alongside me in the journey. See, and that's another thing about about group life, it's not just about the fact you get an encouraging word, but you know that you got somebody else walking alongside you in the journey. But, ladies, let me tell you this your husbands need to be encouraged, and men, so do our wives. How many times have you been in the midst of a conversation and all of a sudden you hear all this negativity about a spouse or about somebody? And I'm not just talking about relationships between spouse, about somebody else. And let me, it only takes a fire, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And if I go back and I look at the characteristics of a Christ follower, if I look at the characteristics of somebody that's growing in Christ, I don't see a nagging, wagging tongue as a part of those characteristics. And so if it's happening, there must be something missing. And then you hear the complaint from wives. Well, my husband's just not the spiritual leader of the home. I don't want to go there. There was a story about this, this couple that was having some issues, and they went to the marriage counselor, and they sat down with him, and, and uh, the counselor said, well, obviously there seems to be a problem. Well, how can I help you guys? And, and the guy Um, The lady says, well, I just want to tell you what. She says, our lives would be different if my husband was just the spiritual leader of the home. And the counselor said, well, son, is that right? He said, well, listen, Doc, he said, it's really tough. He said, man, my wife's in church every time the doors are open, and she's in every Bible study you can imagine, and she knows the books of the Bible by memory, and and she she does all this stuff, and I just feel so inadequate um, to be the spiritual leader because she is so spiritual. And the counselor says, after a while, he said, listen, I want to give you guys one, one little activity I want you to do. I want you to go back home. And he said, I want you to do this. I want you to try every night. He said, for the next seven days, I want you to pray with her. And he said, well, Doc, he said, what do I prayed. He said, I just want you to pray. God, help us have a godly home. God, just, just help us have a, a godly home. And he said, do you think you can do that? And the guy said, well, sure, I think I can do that. So they go home. And that night, he, he said, honey, can we pray? And she said, well, if we have to. So he, he bows his head and he says, um, Dear Jesus, would you just let us have a, a godly home? Amen. A few days later, they went back to see the counselor and the guy. The counselor said, well, son, he said, how did it work out? You know, did things work out okay? He said, well, doc, I don't think it worked out the way you thought it would work out. He said, well, tell me what happened. He said, well, I bowed my hand. I asked her to come and pray with me. And it didn't seem like she was on edge to start off with. And then I prayed. He said, what did you pray? He said, I prayed exactly what you told me to pray. God, help us have a a godly home. Amen. And and he said, well, what was wrong with that? He said, well, she looked over at me and said, you've got to be kidding me. You think God's going to answer a dumb prayer like that? A nagging, controlling, negative woman can kill a man's spirit. A godly, encouraging woman can make a weak man stronger. A discouraging woman can make a weak man weaker. Look at what Jezebel does next in the middle of verse 7. And I'm going to paraphrase this. Since you can't do it, since you can't get, seem to get it done, I will do it for you. Some people would say that the reason that Jezebel was going to do it for him because Ahab wasn't doing his responsibility. He wasn't fulfilling his role that God had intended him to play. But to be honest, how many of us really understand what that role is? Do you really understand what the role of man is inside the, the home? we said before and we'll say it again and I'll summarize it in one word. A man inside the marriage relationship, headship headship. God says that the man is to be the head of the marriage, the head of the family, and the head of the home. We don't like it when we put it that way, but somebody's got to be the head, and a home with two heads is nothing but a monster. That's the way it is. There's only one head of the church, and that's Jesus Christ, and there's only one head of the home, and that is is the man. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23 states it. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church, verse 24, submits to Christ, so wives should submit to your husbands. Now we don't like the word submission. We don't like that. We don't care that much about it. But you know what? The word submission isn't traced to the 21st century. It's something that God has had amidst his plan all the way from day one, involved in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I was in a a conversation this past week with, with Meredith's dad, and I said, listen, would you share that with us today? Mr. Jack, would you share with us that relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the submission between the Creator, between the doer, and the enabler?
1: set it aside but now that I'm older and have made numerous mistakes I'm reminded of how important and how powerful this is the Godhead we are taught are three distinct persons and yet they are all one and they are equal in authority but they have different responsibilities and you know we hear that and we read it in scripture but how can that be and you have to just resign yourself to the fact that in Isaiah 55 it says just as heavens are above the earth So are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts? There will be no answer to that on earth. In heaven, we might have a chance to ask it. But I'd like to read you a few verses that describe the relationship that Jesus Christ has to God the Father and the Holy Spirit. You will see in Genesis 1.26 these words, God said, God the Father. The word capital G-O-D is God the Father. That's Jehovah. And God said, it also means the Godhead. All three of them said at the same time, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That's the first part of the verse. So we understand that there's a plurality here. Now exactly how did that take place? When you go back in Genesis to the first part of the chapter, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's that's the Godhead all three of them created and what did they do the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving on the surface of the waters so we know that the spirit of God's part of the Godhead responsibility was to empower creation to give it the power to happen all things that are done are done in the power of the Holy Spirit Who did it who actually created the earth in Colossians 3 I mean chapter 1 verse 16 it says for by him all things were created the hymn refers to the Son Jesus Christ Yahweh he created the earth every bit of it as a member of the Godhead the Trinity So we have God the Father conceiving the whole concept. You have God the Son speaking it into existence through the power of the Holy Spirit. That has never changed. God conceived you and me before the foundations of the world. When Jesus Christ volunteered to come to earth, he did everything in the power of the Spirit, not in his power as the Son. that has never changed there's a voluntary submission going on there God the Father conceived the plan God the Son volunteered to speak it into existence and then to come to earth to be a man in Philippians chapter 2 you have a description of what that was like and it says right here he emptied himself and became a form of a bondservant. He existed in the form of God, in the Godhead. He did not regard equality of a God, the thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. When he came to earth, he gave up his power as one of the Trinity, and everything he did was in the power of the Spirit. So there's a submission going on there. That's the concept that I learned many years ago that I set aside, the idea of mutual submission. God submitting to the Son, submitting to the Holy Spirit, submitting to God. God the Son submitting to the Holy Spirit, submitting to God. Mutual submission, that's the pattern for mankind. That's called the theocratic kingdom of God concept. That's how we're to live, mutual submission. Now there's an authority structure in that submission. God the Father conceives. God the Son does. God the Spirit empowers. There's, a, there's an authority structure. We can't understand how that can be, but the Bible says it's so, we believe to be so.
0: And so in the same try. way, in the same way, God instituted that same process within the home, exactly. in the, the same exact way, but see us as guys. Now we hear that word submission, and man, we're bumping over there on our wife. So did you hear that? Did you hear what the pastor said? He said, "Submission." But we really don't understand the context of what it means to be mutually submissive. And so before you get all excited, guys, we've picked on the ladies a little bit. Before we get all excited, guys, what are you encouraged? And what is your responsibility to lead out on? Let me give you a couple things here. Protector. Protector. And that's pretty easy, isn't it? Protector. Some of you have heard this. I remember first night in our new home. Uh... I was exhausted 14 years ago whenever it was we moved in no kids you got to remember no kids I'm laying in the bed and um, in the middle of the night probably 2 or 3 o'clock Meredith bumps me into bed you know and she goes somebody's in the house I said what? somebody's in the house I said Meredith there's nobody in the house She said, somebody's in the house. I heard them moving in there. And I said, baby, go back to sleep. You know, in the middle of the night, that's the last thing I need to be doing is having to wake up and think somebody's in the house. About that time, our door goes. Man, listen, I'm thinking, I'm fixing to go to prison. I'm fixing to shoot somebody. How am I going to get between here and where the guns are, okay? And how, what's going to happen here? And my chest is about to beat outside of my, and I could hear them breathing. I know, that's exactly what I was thinking. And I'm doing everything not to move and trying to look. You know how you're trying to get focused in the middle of the night? So I'm trying to focus and I'm trying to look and not move, act still like acting like I'm asleep, and I can hear them walking. And I'm thinking, dear Jesus, oh, I'm just praying. What in the world? And about that time, it nudged my hand. It was a dog. <laughs> we, had this, we had this lab that was, had been with us all the time, and they would always meet us. But I guess they had just sort of, the door wasn't closed, and they bumped the door and came in the house. But here I am thinking, Lord, I'm fixing to die. I'm going to be protecting my wife. You know, but that's sort of a natural inclination for us to be the protector of our spouse. I mean, that's sort of an ingrained thing within us, to be protector. One of the basic roles of man is to be protector. Peter said, and he refers to a woman as a weaker vessel in relationship to man, and he says this, he said, We are to honor our wives and treat them with an understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered but just because she's weaker doesn't mean that she's of less value i i went to the house and i got out of the cupboard and i thought well you know okay here's two cups um this one's stronger this one seems to be weaker but which of the ones is the most valuable are you with me are you with me which one is the most valuable And it was a statement of affirmation that God created women with physical limitations. A woman in that day that didn't have a man that was, uh, at that time, she was not protected. If she wasn't protected, she was vulnerable. And she could be open to attack and abuse. And a man's size and his strength can be used to dominate and abuse, or it could be used to protect. But it's not just a physical protection. Listen to me here. Because we're also required to protect her heart as well as our emotions. And one of the ways to protect our women's hearts, guys, is to be trustworthy. How many women are held helpless, helpless and afraid because the one that should be her protector, they don't even know if they can trust. It's quiet. It's really quiet. But not only protector, what about provider? And this doesn't mean that your spouse can't contribute financially, nor nor does it mean that it's your responsibility, guys, to manage the checkbook. But what it does mean is that you have the spiritual responsibility to set the tone and the direction for your family. That the gift that you are to provide for your family is not the pursuit of material possessions, but that of financial stability. And listen, I understand stuff is going to happen. Brad, stuff happens sometimes stuff happens jobs are lost things take place times are difficult but it is your responsibility your biblical role to provide for your Family And Paul said this to Timothy, if anyone does not provide, and that's a never-ending, leading, thinking about providing for your family, not only then, not only now, but always afterwards, even after you die. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And I think about the word provider, I think about a caretaker. And it's easy for us to look because culturally we understand that role of being provider and being protector, right? Culture, say, culture says that that's sort of an assumed man's role. But listen, what about these last two? Prophet and pastor. Prophet, Quite simply, it means to instruct somebody in God's truth. And Scripture implies that that God's Word is to be spread within the family and that we as fathers are to diligently teach our children. Ephesians 6.4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that you've got to be a theologian. It doesn't mean that you've got to have all the books of the Bible memorized. It doesn't mean that you've got to have the book of Revelation revelation by memory, but it does mean that you set the spiritual tone and direction for your family. It means that we're to love God and to teach our children the importance of his word and the importance when we go out in the morning and when we walk along the road during the day and when we get ready to lie down and when you're having a conversation with your children, you start to talk to them about God's principles and God's ways and the things of the Lord. We teach them not about religious practices, though. We teach them about a relationship with an Almighty God. And men, listen, we cannot give away what we don't have. Bringing them to church is great, but we cannot teach what we don't have. God is to be worshipped in our homes, and the man is the one that stands in the gap, and he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. but we're also pastors. When you think about the word pastor, you think about Brian or myself, and you think about the role that we play in in the shepherd. That's really what that word means. It means shepherd. And as a shepherd's role, it's one of provision, care, guidance. And the sheep, listen, the sheep are completely dependent on Him. In the New Testament, we see Jesus is mentioned as the chief shepherd. We see Him mentioned as the good shepherd. And if that is true, that means the chief shepherd. That implies, even though we don't find it, it implies maybe the thought of an under-shepherd. And the shepherds would be responsible for the flocks. And the father would be responsible for the family. In the pinnacle of God's creation, he said that what he created was good. Here was mankind in the family unit and God said that what he created was good. But listen, Satan's goal was this, to distort To deceive, to damage, to destroy what God created. And if we were to define sin, yes, we would say it's missing the mark. But sin is also spoiled goodness. And guess who wants to spoil God's goodness? Satan himself. And he wants to deceive you, and he wants to distort, and he wants to damage, and he wants to destroy. And it all began in the Garden of Eden when Eve stepped out of the role that God created her to fill. And in that time, it created a barrier in her relationship with, her, with, with Adam, but it also created a barrier in her relationship with God. And later on in the Old Testament, this is what we see. We see that the kings and the priests and the leaders had turned away from God. And they, were, they had been deceived. And they thought to themselves that there would be no consequences to their actions. They thought to themselves because of their sin, there wouldn't be a consequence And Jeremiah comes back, and this is so pointed, and when I saw this this week, I go, oh, my word, and I have to read this to you today. Because this is what it says in Jeremiah as he calls them out, as he calls sin for what it is, and he said, listen, I want you to know, Israel, there's going to be a price to be paid for turning away from God. There's a price to be paid for your sin. And listen at what he says. Listen at this in Jeremiah chapter 10. He says this in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 21. The shepherds of my people have lost their senses. They no longer seek wisdom from the Lord. They fail completely and their flocks are being scattered. And then I want to turn over uh, to another passage of Scripture in Jeremiah chapter 23. And I want to read this to you. Keep in mind the connotation of the word shepherd and pastor. 23, chapter 23, Jeremiah. What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for. Therefore, this is what the Lord God of Israel says to the shepherds. Instead of caring for my flock and leading them to safety, you have deserted them and driven them to destruction. Now I will pour out judgment on you for the evil that you have done to them. Listen, take this in context to pastor, shepherd. Take this in context to the home. You want to know why we're where we are today, guys? You want to know why we are where we are? It's because we have failed to be the pastors that God has called us to be. We have failed to be the shepherds that God has called us to be. God's design for man was that as provider and protector and prophet and pastor. And it wasn't a shot in the dark. It was a plan. And it was designed from the beginning of man. And we've got that role to play. And it's not about making more money. And it's not about building a bigger house. And it's not about raising your children to be the spelling bee champion. And it's not about raising your child to be the next Super Bowl MVP. That is not the goal. But it is our responsibility as men to stand up and to be a pastor of our home and to raise the next generation that will serve God with all their lives. And a step in that direction is a step leading us closer to living as God designed us to live. Do you hear me? Ladies, it isn't your job to tell us how to get there. It's your job to empower us and to encourage us. Let's go back to the story really quickly. Jezebel steps out of the role that God created her to fill. And in a short version, she says this, Listen, I'll go get the vineyard for you. And she, she devises this plan. She seals a letter. She sends it off. And she said, Listen, at this party that we're going to have, we want you to have bring in a couple of thugs. And about the middle of the party, we want you to stand up. Have them stand up and say curse God and curse the king and they're going to go out um, and they're going to kill Naboth because they're going to say that Naboth cursed God and, and he cursed the king and so she devises this plan and look at verse 15 at what takes place when Jezebel heard the news she said to Ahab you know the vineyard that Naboth wouldn't sell well you can have it now because he's dead because my plan it worked she's still all up in his business All up in his business. Verse 16, So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard of Naboth to claim it. Verse 17, But the Lord said to Elijah, Go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. Here God sends a prophet, a mouthpiece, a spokesperson for the Lord, and he he tells him to go speak to him. He said he will be at Naboth's vineyard in Jezreel, claiming it for himself. Give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Wasn't it enough that you killed Naboth? Must you rob him too? Because you have done this, dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they have licked the blood of Naboth. So my enemy, you found me, Ahab exclaimed to Elijah. Yes, Elijah answered, I have come because you have sold yourself to what is evil in the Lord's sight. So now the Lord says, I will bring disaster on you and consume you. I will destroy every one of your male descendants, slaves and free alike anywhere in Israel. In verse 22, I'm going to destroy your family as I did the family of Jeroboam, son of Naboth, the family of Baasha, son of Asia, Asia, for you have made me very angry, and I have led Israel into sin. And regarding Jezebel, by the way, the Lord said, Dogs will eat Jezebel's body at the plot of land in Jezreel. The members of Ahab's family who die in the city will be eaten by dogs, and those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. And then we end just like we began. In verse 25, no one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. Jezebel was the one that had Naboth killed, but who did God hold responsible? Who did God hold responsible? Ahab. Men, are you with me? Are you catching on to this? You know that God is going to hold us responsible for what takes place inside of our families. We have a responsibility to stand up and be the men of our homes. To be the pastor of our homes. To be the shepherds. To be the protectors and the providers of our homes. We cannot raise godly children by a plan or by a program. It doesn't happen that way. And you know what? I, and for those of you that have had children that have gone astray, listen, I want to take something away from you right now. Because what was it that God the Father did that was so wrong that Adam and Eve turned and ran from God? You're to be who God called you to be. And you're to fulfill that role. But you cannot... Control what takes place with your children. They have a decision that they've got to make. But that does not negate the role or the responsibility that you have. I don't know what in the world I'd do without a supportive wife. I don't know what I'd do. Now, have there been times there have been difficulty? You doggone right, just like there's been times there have been difficulty in your homes. We have, a, we have sin that happens in our home from time to time, Guys. We're a real family, living a real life with real issues, just like you got stuff going on in your family. But I don't know what in the world that I would do without a, without a supportive wife. And ladies, you have the ability to make a weak man stronger, or you can beat him down. But you're not going to do that by being nagging, controlling. It's just not going to happen. But guys, God calls us to lead. He calls us to lead. Would you bow your heads with me just for a second? God, we ask today that the Holy Spirit would just take this and would drive it. Now, I don't know where it's gonna end up, but I pray that, Lord, that you'd drive this deep down and that you would release and that you'd free us and give us the confidence to step into the role that you've called us to play. For those that aren't married, Lord, I just pray that within this series they'll find some foundational blocks that will one day help them decide as they as they look forward towards maybe having a future spouse and and in that it will better prepare them to have the marriage that one day uh, you intended us to have ladies let me ask you a question while your head's about many of you here today might say well I haven't done some of the things that Jezebel has done but if I'm honest I've found myself from time to time not being the helpmate that God intended for me to be there have been times that I've been critical of my husband there have been times that my my conversation has not been right. And yes, if I'm truthful, there have been times that I've been controlling and domineering. If you're here today and you'd say, you might say, I want to encourage my husband instead of tear him down. I want to be what God intended me to be. If that's you, ladies, would you just raise your hand? Everybody's heads about. If that's just you, that's the person I want to be. Men, How many of us here can see some of Ahab in us? Everything's great on the outside, but on the inside, things maybe aren't so great. Maybe we're passive. Maybe you've been really successful at some things, but at home you're a little bit more laid back. A little more hands-off in some important areas of dealing with the family and marriage and spiritual growth. Maybe you haven't been fulfilling the role that God designed for you as a prophet or pastor. Maybe you've not been fulfilling that role as protector. Maybe you're not trustworthy. But today you'd say I desire to. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Yeah. God, I pray for our men and ladies today that, is, that the Holy Spirit, we'd understand that, that, Lord, for those of us that are believers to empower us to step into that role, to be the leaders of our home. Um, not a role of dominance, but one of self-sacrifice. We would understand that Jesus so loved the church, and that's how we're to love our wives, but Jesus was willing to give his life for the church. Are we willing to give our lives for our wives? Ladies, for, for those that are here, I, Lord, I want to pray for them that they would have a sense of calling and responsibility to stand in that gap and to be the helper that you've called them to be as a man, as, as a man of God. And I pray that, that you'd move with inside of our, our ladies' hearts, that Lord, if even if they're here, if they've maybe taken up a role that's not theirs, that they'd be willing to say, Lord, I'm sorry. And if they've even played that role within their homes, they may be able to look at their husbands later sometime today and just look at them and say, I'm sorry. But Father, would you give us courage as men to lead? In Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to watch this video. We said it earlier, we can't give away what we don't have. But do you know that our spouses and our children desire for us to lead them in? Do you understand that? (laughs) Can you imagine if there was a church that was bold enough to make that a priority? That men standing in the gap and leading their families, not just doing more church. What would it be like if there was a community of believers that spiritual growth was important? And then we saw the men as stepping up to the plate instead of our women always assembled in Bible studies talking about their husbands and what they should be doing. What would it be like and how would that affect the community of believers? How would that affect the community at large? Do you think it would have an impact? Do you even think that it would have some type of of an impact for the generations to come? I believe it will. And do you understand that's who God's called heritage to be? To stand in that gap we go got walking along the journey. It's a journey of faith. It's not the journey of doing more church or better church, but it's the journey of faith. Man, listen, I send you out to make a difference and to absorb what we've talked about today because there's a lot of questions, and I don't know of any of us that stand up and do probably what we need to be doing. So every one of us in this room has some, has some room for improvement. For the nagging, controlling woman, get over it. Work it out. Figure it out. Apologize. Confess for the man that's not leading. Confess it. Ask forgiveness. And begin taking those steps. Make a difference in the world this week while you guys go. I'll see you next week.